Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we are speaking with Emily Eisen, a New York State certified teacher who is the founder, director, and instructor of BrainWorks Plus, the multi-dimensional, multi-generational brain-body fitness center of Long Island, New York, as well as being the director of the Long Island Ball of EX team. For the past 22 years, Emily has conducted professional therapeutic trainings, professional staff and administrative development programs, and has been a guest speaker. She conducts a private practice for pre-K through senior citizen clients and has been awarded an Alzheimer's Association grant to work with the Huntington Senior Citizen Adult Daycare for the past three years. She earned certifications in total immersion swimming coaching, chi walking, coaching, yoga instructor, mediation, and breathwork teachings. Emily is a fine artist, mentor, illustrator, singer, songwriter, piano composer, actress, playwright, writer, kayak, and outdoor lover. She is a 30-year-old resident of scenic, culturally rich Northport and became a happy grandma this year. She is currently writing her book called Arrows, to be published in 2020. It tracks her journey and what she has learned and teaches as a result of what most would see as an unfortunate situation. Emily believes each experience is an arrow, some fulfilling and some disturbing, and believing each arrow is for a meaningful purpose and learning. Every experience can be fuel for a bright future. Welcome, Emily Eisen. How are you? I'm wonderful. I really am very grateful to be alive at this moment and speaking with you, Lily. Well, Emily, you were highly recommended by Lori Kerner, who happens to be one of my favorites. And mine, too. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. I'm ready and eager to share what I know and my life experiences. Perfect. Now, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? My path to leadership started pretty meekly. I was an artist, a fine artist, working alone in a studio and made a choice at a part of my college career that I would become a teacher, which I think is one of the most important leaders in today's world. And Mm -hmm. so I did. I became a teacher teaching art, and that was a 34-year career. Fast forward to my present role as a leader, I was awakened in 1995 to learn that I had a benign brain tumor, pituitary tumor. As a result of that, I put myself on a journey of learning about my brain and how to help myself restore myself. In the year 2000, five years later, I did fly to Los Angeles, California, for a neurosurgeon to do a procedure called the endoscopic procedure where he took it right out of my right nostril, and I was at Universal Studio in three days, and I've had clear MRIs ever since. So backtracking a little bit during that five-year period of 1995 to the year 2000, I did maintain normal hormone levels with several injections a day. It just became part of my lifestyle. But during that time, I did set out a path of learning about the brain and learning about how language is so powerful in instructing our own system to create our health 
our choices mm-hmm. of career, our relationship. And that's basically what has brought me to this moment in time to be the founder and the director of BrainWorks Plus, which is a multi-generational curriculum where I work with groups, staff, and individuals on how to learn as well, how to balance their own brain, get the most out of their brain power and their health and in their personal life and in their professional life. That pituitary tumor was really a seed for me that I did not know would lead Mm -hmm. me to become the leader that I am today. Wow, Emily, what a journey. I have tons of other questions. First of all, you equated teaching with leadership, which I think is so spot on. But did you always think you were a leader as an art teacher? How was that progression? When I stepped into the classroom, I was a leader, and I was clear on that. And that was really big enough for me. As I said, I was a fine artist working in my studio alone. So now working with 800 students a week starting in 1971 in Hicksville, that was a huge, huge pond to jump into. Prior to that, I did not think of myself as a leader, actually thought of myself as rather shy. So being a teacher really brought out qualities in me that I didn't even know that I had and totally enjoyed them. As far as being a leader in a larger pond right now, it's never something that I imagined. And I can say that placing myself in the company and the presence and the knowledge of my leader teachers has helped me to reshape who I am as a leader. So, Emily, you said something else, that you were awakened. Tell me about that. What is that like? Well, to be awakened, you know, it can be shocking and it can be pleasurable. For me, the awakening was that I was moving along in my life as I had planned and enjoying my life. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm diagnosed with a brain tumor. And that was a huge awakening that, you know, sparked me on to say, wait a minute, there's more that I need to learn here because my life has taken a turn in a path that I did not choose. Mm-hmm. That's what awakening was for me. Would I have chosen to have that be what led me to where I am today? No, but we don't always get to choose. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was chosen. I was chosen mm. for the role that I'm in now. I love that. Now, you also said that you went on a journey to learn more about the brain and language. I get that you wanted to learn more about the brain considering what you went through, but why focus on language? Well, I'm a pretty holistic-minded person, and when I discovered that I had what I renamed as my extra healthy cells, because they were healthy, there's just too many of them, I went to a practitioner who said, you know, your brain cannot understand what you're telling it, even though all your words sound very flowery and wonderful and all your affirmations. You're not speaking a language that your brain can understand and carry out to the results that you choose. So I began my journey on learning the language of mastery, which was becoming aware of unconscious language patterns that I was feeding myself and directing myself, as we all are, without the knowledge that my brain is not understanding how to carry out these directions when I learned that there are 11 groups of language patterns that we use habitually all the time that our brain can't understand. We wonder, wait a minute, why does this keep on happening again? Why am I not creating the results that I choose, either in my health and my relationships or my career? What's going on here? And when I took the language of mastery, my first course, I tuned into what we call self-limiting language and self-sabotaging language that I wasn't even aware of. And I learned how to upgrade them or edit them into very simple, concrete language that the brain can understand and carry out. Wow, this is so intriguing for me because I often get how important language is and our self-limiting beliefs. So how would you describe your leadership style? 
My leadership style is comprised of several elements. The first thing in my leadership style is to advocate for whoever it is I'm leading, whether it's one student or a group of 100 at a guest speaking engagement. And mm-hmm. I advocate for self-care. That's number one on my list. So I will help to educate anybody I'm leading on how to do the best self-care physically, emotionally, and mentally for themselves. Because if they're not able to do that kind of self-regulation, they're not going to be able to be part of the team to function at the highest and the most enjoyable level. And then I speak of my leadership in terms of two elements. Number one is that I like to endow who I'm leading, which means in language of mastery terms that I already come from whoever I'm leading has everything they require to be a valuable contributor to whatever the project is. Whether they're aware of it or not, I endow them with all the qualities that are necessary for whatever the project is. So that's number one. Part two of my leadership style is that I empower. I empower somebody to be aware that they have powers to make choices and that they also can open themselves up to new learning and education, learning new tools, getting the most up-to-date information on how to be a valuable contributor to any kind of teamwork or staff. You know, Emily, as you're speaking, what flows through is how you love and value those you lead. That's pretty powerful. It's necessary. I think that passion mm-hmm. and valuing somebody and endowing them with worthiness are the seeds of building a great team. Absolutely. And speaking of team, what does it mean to you to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? Having a good team begins with addressing each person as an individual and helping them to realize that they are the source of their abilities. And from that cultivation, that person can then become a resource. So my thinking is always being source first and resource second. Once somebody becomes a source for themselves, and then a powerful resource, then the interaction can take place amongst people to become a team and pool from their strength and their wholeness what they know. So, Emily, if you were contracted or sought out by an organization to help with your team, what's one of the first things you do? The first thing I always do is an exercise and it's a language of mastery exercise and it's called outcoming Mm -hmm. and helping people to place themselves in their outcome instead of being at point a and always striving to get to point b i help people to learn to place themselves in their outcome so they're coming from their already fulfilled state so that's step number one so for example If I'm going to be outcoming right now, I'm going to say it's 12 o'clock and I feel fulfilled and nourished. I feel that I've made a great contribution and I feel really good about our interview. So I'm not coming from the beginning of the interview. I'm coming from it's already happened and I'm coming from the feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment. That's the first step I take. The next step I take is to build people's knowledge of how to take care and activate their brain-body system in order to be a good team. I don't go straight to the top floor, which is cognition or executive function. I start from the ground up. I help people know how to breathe. I help people know how to have their body be in alignment and feel balanced. I help people to know how to be flexible in thought and in movement and in emotion. It always starts for me from the ground up. And from there, once I teach a team how to take care of themselves and get integrated to be part of a team, then we're all ready and we're set to deal with more cognitive issues and team goals. 
so outcoming and building knowledge. I'm thinking about situations that would really benefit, but it does require trust, right? Trust in the process, trust in each other. You know, Rory, trust and safety to me go hand in hand. And I know for a fact from being a teacher and from being a brain gym practitioner that no learning can take place on top of stress or feeling that there is any kind of a danger. And so trusting and feeling a sense of safety are at the bottom of all learning and all team building, whether somebody is five years old and in kindergarten or whether they're 45 years old and they're a CEO or they're part of a staff. Trust is very important. I think that trust for me comes from somebody as a leader showing up as being very honest with themselves and being very willing to share their own experience, their own failures, their own journey to what brought them into the role of being a leader, that if somebody can make themselves so vulnerable as to say, this is what happened for me, this is how I learned to rise and stand before you as a leader, and I'm here for you. I've traveled the path, and I'm ready to help you travel the path as well. I love that because it does show vulnerability, transparency, and courage, which certainly builds trust. Now, Emily, if our listeners wanted to connect with you and learn more about your work, what's yeah. the best way to do that? Truly the best way is by calling my office at 631-651-9207 and going to my website, which is www.brainworksplus.com, spelled just the way it sounds, B-R-A-I-N-W-O-R-K-S-P-L-U-S.com. Somebody can find out about all the different programs that I teach. Because it extends beyond the brain and beyond language. Because once I had those as a foundation, I launched my life in so many different directions. Now as a swim coach and as a chi walking coach, just recently became a certified yoga instructor. So I basically want to tell you and our listeners that once you learn how to balance your system, know how your system works on a brain-body-emotional level, You become an integrated space through which you can learn anything and do anything. And it's really important to have these operator manuals (laughs) because it really changes the quality and the joy of being alive. Thank you so much, Emily. Welcome. Now, Emily, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? You know, there are quite a few, so I'm going to tell you a few of them. One of them is... What I have learned is that people become motivated when you guide them to the source of their own power. That's one of them that I love. Another one is leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that impact lasts in your absence. I love the one by Rosa Parks. She says, I have learned over the years that when one's mind is made up, this diminishes fear. Knowing what must be done does away with fear. This is especially true for me because if there's something I choose to do and I don't feel ready for it, but my passion is up there and says go for it, I like this quote, and I always did something I was a little not ready to do. I think that's how you grow, by Marissa Mayer, CEO of Yahoo. Of course, there's always Anais Nin. Life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. There's so many quotes, but I will end this quote, that one of the most important things for any leader is never let anyone else define who you are, that you define who you are, and that makes you a leader. Perfect. I'm so inspired. I think we can end the interview here. We won't. We will be full. (laughs) Well, I'm having a great time, so I'm ready. So am I. Thank you. Can you tell us what type of leader you're inspired by and why? Coming from my ground of being, Mm -hmm. I'm inspired by leader number one, who takes care of themselves. I want to know that this is a person who has a conscious 
lifestyle and sets that example for me and anybody else they're leading. So that's always number one, is that person taking good care of themselves. The second thing that is really important to me is that somebody is both a really good listener and a really good communicator. The third thing that's really important to me is that a really good leader is not going to give me answers, but they're going to question me to get me to have a new way to thinking so that I can tap into my own potential. And I think that one of the most important things in a leader for me is somebody who knows how to deal with one-on-one as well as knowing how to coordinate people to work as a group. Both of those are very, very important. And, of course, a leader with heart. I don't think I've ever spoken to someone who so clearly defines why the characteristics of someone who inspires. So I really appreciate that. And this is so true because someone who takes care of themselves is walking the talk. Exactly. Um, One of the reasons I started this podcast is to become a better listener. And I practice that every week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times a week to become a better leader. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. And to me, it's very clear that you are an excellent listener because after I speak, you're responding with something that shows that you listen that leads to the next line of questioning. So I'm appreciating you as well. And Emily, that takes practice, right? You know, life is a practice, really. You know, now that I'm a yoga teacher, everything is a practice. Breathing is a practice. And life does not have graduation. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. You know, you also said, and I'm kind of staying here because I think this is really important. You said a leader who doesn't give answers. And so often in education, we're so trained to fix things or to want to give answers. And we're not trained to coach and to bring things out of people, which is really what education is. You know, someone who knows how to deal with people individually and how to bring them together and has heart. That's the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. So this is so beautifully. It's like a delicious (laughs) cupcake that you just put together. Great image. I think I'm going to make a painting. I'm going to make that something like that, and I will send it to you. Something about the cupcake of leadership. I love it's it. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. So, Emily, can you tell us what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice. It's always take care of yourself. That's always on the bottom, but we'll add in more to this recipe. The best advice is to follow my passion and take the first step. I'll expound on that. Sometimes it can happen for myself as well as people I work with. That this passion, this desire, this goal, this intention seems so big, it's even too big to even start. The best advice that I have had, and I think I learned this in Brain Gym, is start with the baby step. The baby step is that door that just starts to open a little bit. It still stays safe enough to taste and test the water and to experiment and to be curious and take the first baby step. To Mm. me, that just opens the doorway to the whole mansion of Mm. one's life. I love the visual of that and certainly to master the fear or to face the fear and take those steps is extremely important. So thank you so much for that. So Emily, I know we've talked about some of your challenges, but can you tell us about a challenge and how it has shaped your life? Well, it just so turns out, Lily, that it is actually another physical challenge that really spurred, again, so many gifts. And that was this past summer needing to get a new left Mm -hmm. hip. And I'm a very active woman. I'm involved in a great many activities of teaching and learning, creating. And this really put a crimp in who I was and how I lived my life. The challenge for me was realizing that I am not what I do. Mm. And because this challenge of having a hip that really limited me from living the life that I identify who I am with, I wasn't doing that anymore. And I had to stop and go through a lot of frustration, sadness, withdrawal, irritability, 
qualities I do not like to feel or identify with, and yet there I was in real life looking at what's going to happen now, who am I now. I think the challenge for me sprouted from withdrawal into reaching out, connecting with other people, teachers and colleagues who've gone through actual hip surgery, and I just got on the phone and spoke with as many people as I could and told them, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm feeling. Did you have this happen too? Did you have an identity crisis? We call the challenge an identity crisis. Yes, they did. By talking to so many people, and I just learned to relax and surrender. I'm not what I do. I'm much more than my body. I'm much more than my feelings. I'm much more than my thoughts. I'm much more than this role that I identify with. And through this challenge and the post-surgery, which I call surgery, not surgery. What do you call it? The language of mastery, I rename things because it puts me in a position of being an active participant. So for me, surgery became surgery that I was doing this to be cured of something, not just going into it as a process. In language of mastery, being in a process without an outcome is a dead end. So when I renamed my surgery, my surgery, which I also did when I had my brain surgery, it became something that I was a participant in coming from an outcome, not just a process. So when I had my surgery, I began to surrender to and really really get to know myself as just a being, you know, a container of life. And I began to just read more and learn from people, began to get more into my artwork. I began to slow down because I had to. So when I would take my rehab walks, I would really notice a single leaf. I would notice a bird flying by, which perhaps in the past I'd be preoccupied or going too fast. So my challenge of, of this hip surgery really changed my life in a way, not just of how I move physically, but how I move through my day, how I move through a meal, how I move through being with a family member or a friend it changed everything. And boy, it shouldn't look like that in the beginning. So that's what happened. And of course, That ripples into the kind of leader I am as well. I'm slowing down even more to be more consciously Mm -hmm. present. I think every question we've landed on has been just so full of inspiration and wonderful imagery. You certainly have mastered the language of mastery. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. You said at the very beginning that the physical challenge inspired a new gift. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that's accurate. That didn't connect, as I'm sure some of our listeners, to have a physical challenge. Having a gift isn't the first thing we connect with. A lot of us as leaders, we're so tied and connected, and we have so much identity with what we're able to accomplish, and yet all of us are temporarily able-bodied, right? Whether we're young or older in our journey, we're going to come across these challenges where we do have to slow down. And I love how you unpack this for us. It's like a little map or guidance to how to handle this. And I loved how authentic you were in reaching out for help. Just to learn. You're such a learner, Emily. And a leader needs to be a learner. And I love how you want to learn in every situation, even in the struggle. And the struggle to surrender. I think surrender is one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings. I thank you so much for this pearl. I'm so happy that you're getting a lot out of what I'm sharing. I think especially for a leader to be able to switch gears and experience what it's like to be a leader for yourself. A leader comes back to their group so much more enriched, so much more in touch, and so much more personal. And my book that I'm writing, and that is my philosophy, is where I come from. 
that whatever life situation is going on, it's an arrow. The name of my book is Arrows, coming out in 2020. And when I view my life situation, relationships, health condition as an arrow to something that is asking to be improved, embellished, enriched, healed, then any and every situation can be something that leads to our own personal evolution. Well, thank you so much for that. And I am looking forward to reading your book, Arrow, and learning more about it. And perhaps you can come back on. I mean, I'm speaking from the future. (laughs) Yay, you're upcoming early. Way to go, girl. (laughs) You're a quick learner. I'm so excited to have read your book. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. And I already see you using arrows in your life so differently now, too. There you go. (laughs) All right, so, Emily, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? I read this question, and the first thing that came to my mind since I was an older mother having my daughter at 41 on my birthday, no less. That's top of the line, and I will talk about something more professional, but as far as the biggest, greatest success is raising my daughter, Julia Gorman, who is a speech-language pathologist, to be the woman that she is. And I really tear up on this because I know she's my daughter, but she's just a beautiful person who I could see how she works with her students as a leader. And I could see that she brings to her personal life and her professional life all the qualities that I would want in the absolute best leader that could be. And so raising my daughter, having learned from other people how to parent, of course, with the foundation of love, that's my greatest success in my life. It's funny and it's not a surprise, but when I was diagnosed with my extra healthy cells, also known as brain tumor, she was three years old. And so when she was three, I started to learn the language of mastery. So Julie was brought up with a mom who was both a brain gym teacher and a language of mastery instructor and coach. And so she comes from a very different place than most of, you know, her peers with this kind of foundation. But to me, it wasn't like something I did separately. It became my life. And so it became part of who I was as a mother. And so instead of saying, oh, well, you know, that didn't work out so well, you know, what do you want to do? I'm going to say to her, you know, what's your new highest choice? That's how she speaks. She says to me, what's your highest choice, mom? What are you outcoming, mom? It's gift of a lifetime. Who knew? Of course, now I can see you get to now be a mother for her own child. And that's just quadruples, gazillion times what I feel. As far as my professional success, not pinpointing just one incident, I'm going to make it a larger context that following through with making a vow that whatever I learned to heal myself, I would share with others to help them, culminating in my program, Brainworks Plus. To me, that following through on that getting what I needed to learn for myself, and now having these tools to teach others, that's my greatest success. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. Now, now, Emily, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners, which is something you certainly are. But what does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? Life is about change. I do consider myself a life long learner. I love learning something new. And because life is always about change and new discoveries, new things that people are learning, I'm always interested in finding out. I just returned last week from the International Kripalu Yoga Teacher Conference up in the Berkshires at the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. I always wanted to go there. Oh, really? Just do it. Go. What I really recommend is just go for all hour. Because there are programs all day long, like two-hour programs or an hour-and-a-half program. You can sign up and just take a workshop here, take a workshop there, take a yoga class. The food is great. The air is great. Just being on top of a mountain, looking out at the Berkshire Mountain Range and the lake that's below it, it's all wonderful. So just go and do it. 
Just go and do it. I did it already. I did it already. Good. How did you like it? (laughs) I loved it. I know. I know. (laughs) You're amazing. You're so much fun. So I want to continue and tell you that I took a couple of workshops as are often at conferences. And one of the most interesting ones that I took was all about something called the polyvagal theory. Stephen Porges wrote a book, and he's bringing this into the limelight of people to understand, learn, and grow. The importance of the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve, it actually is a nerve that connects up the brain center to all the major organs, and I'm going to highlight the heart, the lungs, and the digestive system. It actually is the nerve that is intertwined with the parasympathetic nervous system. So this is my newest thing that I'm learning and delving more deeply into. And when we learn how to stimulate the vagus nerve, we learn how to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is part of the autonomic nervous system made up of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And the way I remember that is sympathetic S is for stress, that's fight or flight. And parasympathetic, P, is for peace. It's the rest and digest system, and it's the relaxation response. We learned all about how the vagus nerve connects to all these different organs and the sensory system and how to activate the vagus nerve that then stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. So when we have our parasympathetic nervous system activated, we can come from a relaxed, safe space. And that is a space of learning, good relationships, cooperation, a myriad of other fine qualities. And so that's what I'm learning about now, and I'm so excited about it. Because I've known about, you know, the stress response and how that can really interrupt anything good from happening for somebody Mm -hmm. on a physical, emotional, and mental level. But learning how to actually stimulate the vagus nerve to actually see the diagrams of it and how it affects my heart rate, how it affects respiration, and in Mm -hmm. converse, how my conscious respiration can also stimulate the vagus nerve. So it's all feedback and it's all feed forward. So just a couple of examples. We can stimulate the vagus nerve by humming, singing, gargling, by, of course, doing yoga, by exercising. So that's one of my latest things that I'm learning into and going into more deeply, not just as a yoga instructor, but just as a person to be able to Mm -hmm. offer this knowledge and tools for everybody on how to Mm -hmm. take a person out of stress, out of fight and flight, and help them know how to self-regulate their system and switch on their parasympathetic nervous system. It's such important work and learning. What strikes me about you is how intentional you are about every minute of your life. And it's so refreshing. Thank you, Lily. It's a beautiful mirror to hold up to me, and I really appreciate it. This is a gift to me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Emily, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? That is such a really great question. And the first thing that I would change is, I guess going back to old-fashioned, I remember when I was young, I felt like I had a childhood. The first thing that I would change is I would give childhood back to the children. I would have it be more about movement, interaction, exploring, and discovery. And, you know, as a range gym teacher, I know that the foveal vision doesn't even really set in till seven or eight. So it's premature to have children start doing activities that the body is not even developed to do yet. So as Dr. Paul Dennison says, he's the brain gym founder and creator with his wife, Gail Dennison, movement is the doorway to learning. And I would change it so that that is a focus, intentional movement, free play movement, 
so much of what Lori Kerner is doing in her school and her school district and Michael Hines is a strong advocate that bring playtime, bring the playground back in so that children can be children, explore their bodies and how to move in space. That's number one. And number two is I would have teachers, leaders tuned in to knowing that children learn differently, that that education is not cookie cutter, and that to know how to assess, is a child visual learner or auditory, are they kinesthetic, so that a teacher can succeed and then the student can succeed because they're entering an open door. They're not trying to make everybody cerebral. They're not trying to make everybody one track. So that's one of the first things that I would also approach is making sure that teachers are trained in knowing that students have different channels for learning and to be able to use different channels to impart the information that they're not choosing to impart. Dr. Carl Hannaford, who wrote Smart Moves and also The Dominance Profile, has 32 different profiles and none are good, none are bad. But they're basically profiles that show how a child best learns. And very often when I'm working with somebody one-on-one, I'm going to do their dominance profile. What is their dominant ear, dominant eye, dominant hand, dominant leg, and dominant hemisphere? And once I help that person know what their dominance map is, they understand themselves so much better. They go, oh, no wonder I have a struggle with that because I'm not really dominant auditory. Or I'm a detail Mm -hmm. person. Or, no, I'm a big picture person. That's why I lose track when somebody gives me too much information. So that's number two. Mm -hmm. And number three is always one of the sentences that I heard on the first year that I began teaching back in the early 1970s. The orientation day, the superintendent said, I'm going to say something to you that's more important than anything, any subject you're teaching. And he said, kids don't really care how much you know Mm -hmm. until they know how much you care. That stayed with me through every second of my teaching and right through to this second, too. Nothing is more important than somebody feeling that they're cared about, not just for the grade that they pull in, but Mm -hmm. for them as a person. And I appreciate that. It's interesting, I mean, you were talking about give childhood back to the children, you know, through play, through discovery. And you mentioned also Dr. Michael Hines and Lori Kerner, who are probably two of my favorite people in the school system. They're pioneers and they're brave. Yeah, and incubators for leadership, learning, innovation. They're just wonderful. And they're not afraid to take thoughtful risks, which I appreciate. And and so, you know, as you were talking, I thought about the traditional way that we train teachers. And we typically don't talk about the smart move or the dominance profile, which I think is really important foundational work. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. It's key. Education is this information highway, and we need to know how to get on and off the exits with each student. Yes, thank you. Now, Emily, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? The most recent book that I've read that I really love, 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 and actually I gifted it to Lori because I was at her school last week for professional staff development on language and mastery, is a book called Ten Mindful Minutes by Goldie Hawn, who created the Mind Up program. And it is a fabulous, wonderful book on scientific data as well on the power and the value of creating children who are mindful and how different activities and how to do that and what results, the benefits can be. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. So that I highly, highly recommend. Another book that I'm still in the middle of and loving it is called Tribe of Mentors. Anybody who is a leader or a parent, anybody can benefit from this book. It's by Timothy Ferris, and he interviews people with a lot of the similar questions that you're asking me. People who are highly successful, highly happy, highly healthy. We're not just talking about people who are successful and rich. We're talking about happy and healthy people how they got there, and all the questions you're asking me, he he asks them in this book. I'm in the middle of that. I love it. It's a great resource because one of the things that he asks them is what are some of the books that you like, so that keeps leading me to a a new book. 
What I've watched that I recommend everybody see is Won't You Be My Neighbor, the story Mm -hmm. of Mr. Rogers. And that movie, to me, I think that he is such a powerful leader and brave and innovative in what he chose to do for children and with children and how he advocated for keeping the funds for public education and actually had the, I don't know if you've seen this little video of him when he, much younger days, that he was speaking in a court where they were deciding to cut funds for public education and he came forth and spoke and the judge was just hypnotized by what he was saying. It's so powerful. So that movie I would recommend. And this is another book that I listen to and I recommend listening to it as opposed to reading it. This book is called Bored and Brilliant. It's read by the author Manoush Zamarodi, and mm-hmm. she's just a fabulous writer and a fabulous speaker, very personable. And the book is all about how we are so screen-oriented. We're on the phone, we're on the laptop, we're on the iPad, we're on the TV, we're texting, mm-hmm. we're Instagramming, we're Facebook, that we basically never, ever have to be bored. And her whole book is based upon the premise that boredom, the act of doing nothing, is so necessary for our, scientifically, our nervous system, so necessary for us to activate our creative abilities. Boredom is like a blank canvas or, you know, the empty fertile field. It's boredom, the act of doing nothing. And she's such a wonderful writer. And she offers so many tips on how to create boredom. And I've been doing them, and they make a huge difference. Some people call it like Mm -hmm. meditation, but this isn't even meditation. This is nothing (laughs) except for breathing, Mm -hmm. just nothing. And and Mm -hmm. from the space of getting in touch with being bored, that these wellsprings of creative ideas just Mm -hmm. grow. Blossom, sprout. It's a wonderful thing. So I recommend listening to that book. Those are my top ones. Well, thank you so much. As you know, we have this aversion to being bored. It has such a negative connotation. But what you said, it's the space in which we can learn to think. We can learn to be quiet. We can learn to create. And it's so necessary. Um, Yes. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. So you have a lot of responsibilities. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? It's all intentional practice. I address my body first. When I wake up in the morning, I know that in order for me to have an enjoyable, high-quality, energized, and centered day, that my body is my first line of attention. I make sure that I'm hydrated. I make sure that I'm doing deep breathing to get myself oxygenated. And I usually do a combination of either yoga or brain gym. And I also do chi walking, which activates the systems of chi in the body. And I also set my intention for my day. I use the language of mystery. I can, I am, I will, I choose, I have, I love, I create, I enjoy. And I have this racquetball that I wrote all of the two-word phrases on. I bounced the racquetball a few times just to get myself moving. There's another program that I also teach called Balavizex, which is Balance Auditory Visual Exercises. So I'll do a little Balavizex with a racquetball, and then I'll close my eyes catch the ball, look at it, and point to something, and I'll see what it is. It might say, I create, and I finish the sentence for myself. And that's uh, like my mantra for the day. I have that as a set point for myself. I make sure that I eat well, and I stay hydrated throughout the day, and I make Mm -hmm. connections with people Mm -hmm. who I love. I really appreciate that because what it says to me is that in you taking care of yourself, you recognize the responsibility you have to be for other people. As a leader, that's incredibly important. All right. So if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? That's a great question. The first thing that came to my mind is I wouldn't try to do everything by myself. 
I think that as a young leader, I didn't know, didn't trust, didn't whatever, enough to think that, you know, somebody else could do something as good as me. Not to be egotistical, but it was like, okay, now I have to make sure this is going to really be just right, so I'm going to do it. And that is just so disempowering to myself and to other people. And so I would say, okay, Who's a good person to work with on this? I'm much more now of a collaborative project leader than I am a do-it-yourself and make sure it gets mm-hmm. done right. It's mm-hmm. not a direction that works, and it's not enjoyable. It's really lonely, <laughs> and it's really right. stressful and really overwhelming. My greatest joy right now is bringing other people in and collaborating, drawing out their strengths, providing education for them to develop themselves even more. I appreciate that because we don't have to go through all the struggles. We can listen to other people who have gone through the struggles and put that into practice, which is why I put this question in here. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I do want to say a great big thank you to you. Yes, there is something I do want to say. It's really, really important for the leaders, especially in education, to know how important a role they play. And to know that it requires a lot of courage right now to stand up to a lot of the practices that are being used and instituted that are not really good for children. And so I'm adding to my input that leaders today to really get how important their role is and mm-hmm. help make really healthy choices because our children really are our future and how they develop is dependent upon us as leaders, as parents, administrators, as teachers. And it's not just the job. It really is about the future of our global community and of our planet and to take it very, very seriously. What an important role they have. Emily, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Really, this was so enjoyable and such a pleasure, and I really enjoyed interacting with you. You're a wonderful interviewer. You know how to draw out the best in somebody, and I appreciate that very much. You're a wonderful and generous leader. So thank you, and have an amazing day. Thanks, Lily. Bye now. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.